Good afternoon, Church. I'd like to invite you to stand on your feet and read along today's scripture in the honor um, in the honor to the word of the Lord. Our sermon this week is taken from Romans 5, verse 1 to 11. Let's read together on the count of three. One, two, three. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For once we'll scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You guys may be seated. It's kind of weird hearing Isaac call me Yossi. I need to get used to that. And you know, back in the days, whenever I heard God's voice, you know, it sounded like Morgan Freeman. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? But now I think if I hear God's voice, it's going to be sound like Isaac, you know? It's like, oh. <laughs> anyway, happy Resurrection Sunday. Um, we haven't been to church for a while. Let me welcome you to church. Uh, we're so glad to have you today. Now tonight, uh, we're gonna, not going to do Book of Mark. We're going to do something different uh, for Passover. So tonight, I want to talk about joy, okay? Not suwondo, different joy. <laughs> the question that I want to ask you today is, how can we have indestructible joy? And what I mean by joy is very different from happiness, okay? Because Christian joy is unique. Because Christian joy is not based on circumstances, but Christian joy is based on the unchangeable truth of what God has done. And that is why even though the word joy and happiness a lot of time you use simultaneously and interchangeably, I mean, um, it is very different if we look at it from the lens of the Bible. Because what the world calls happiness is basically very different from what the Bible refers joy. Because what the world calls happiness is actually getting control of our life in such a way so that we keep our circumstances favorable. Now, do you know that there's a website called www.happiness.com? Okay, don't check it right now. You can check it at home later. And on this website, they give you the five components for happiness. And they say if you have these five things, you will be happy. Okay, let me list it out for you. The five components of happiness, okay? Number one. Be in, the, be in possessions of the basics. And by basics, they mean food, shelter, good health, and safety. Okay? Second, get enough sleep. Okay, that might be a word for some of you. The reason that you are cranky all the time is because you need to take a nap. Okay? 
Number three, have relationship that matters to you. The implication is do not have relationship that will ruin you. Avoid any kind of relationship that hurts you. Or today's word, avoid any toxic relationship. Number four, take compassionate care of others and yourself. And number five, have work that interests and engages you. Now, when you look at this list, I'm sure many of you nod your head, right? That makes sense. Am I right? It makes total sense. But let me tell you, this is ridiculous. Why? Because it tells us that having happiness is, in, is dependent on having what we want in life. So that means happiness dependent on us having favorable circumstances. But if that's true, the question is, what happened to those who don't? What are we going to do with people who do not have enough food, shelter, good health, and safety? What are we going to do with people who have to work and earn money for their family to the point that they cannot have engaging and interesting work? Are they doomed to no happiness? Well, according to the world standard of happiness, yes, they cannot have happiness. But today, here's the good news. Happiness might not be available to them, but joy is available to them. And that's what I want to offer. Today, I think the Bible will offer to us indestructible joy that does not depend on any circumstances, which means you can be poor or rich, you can have plenty or lack, you can be in good health or sickness, you can be safe or in danger, you can be single or in a relationship, you can always have joy. And this joy is available to you for free. How many of you want that? Free, unlimited, indestructible joy. Can I see your hand? I hope all of us want it, right? And tonight, I'm sure if you come to church, you understand why you're here, right? Tonight, we are celebrating the famous dad in the history of humankind. I mean, this is the one that, think about it, this is the only death that we celebrated every year for thousands of years. Do you know why? Because the man who died did not remain dead. Because if he remains dead, we're not going to celebrate his death. But the good news is this man overcame death. He died on Friday, and then there's a gloomy Saturday, but on the third day, he raised from the dead. And with his resurrection, here's the good news, he purchased for you and me indestructible joy that the world cannot offer. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might think like, you know, Christian, you guys are crazy. You guys are talking about this resurrection from the dead, and that's crazy. But let me tell you, deep inside your heart, you want it to be true. Deep inside our heart, you want to actually to have that kind of joy that does not depend on circumstances. You might not realize it, but you actually want Jesus' resurrection to be true. You want the blessing that comes with Jesus' death and resurrection, as we're going to talk about it soon. And tonight, I'm going to appeal to you. If you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, tonight, here's what's at offer for you. Indestructible joy that Jesus has purchased for you. It is available for you for free the moment you put your faith in Jesus. And our passage for tonight, Romans 5, is actually quite interesting because it has no command whatsoever. It just lists a series of affirmation and blessing. So today, my sermon actually have seven points, okay? She was like, what? <laughs> seven points? Yes, I do have seven points. The seven blessings that Jesus' death and resurrection give us, okay? You ready for it? And let me tell you, you all want this blessing. Your heart longs for Even if you might not know it, at the end of this service, you know, this is what your heart longs for. Okay, let's get into the text. The first blessing, 
peace with God. From Romans 5, verse 1, this is what Paul says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The longing for peace, the pressure of peace, is something that is universal about humankind. Isn't that true? All of us desire peace. And that is why when we hear the war, what happened within Russia and Ukraine, suddenly something inside your heart click, right? Something grieve inside of you. Whenever we hear there's a senseless shooting, whatever it is, we grieve. Because we know deep inside of us, this is not how it's supposed to be. We want peace. And the good news, we can have that peace. But pay attention. This peace is not for everyone. It does not say this peace for everyone. It says this peace is for those who have been justified by faith. In other words, if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, this peace is not available for you. Okay? But if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you today, you said, I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, this peace is is for you. What kind of peace? Here it is. Peace with God. Now, let me tell you why this is important. Because the primary reason why your life in such a mess is because you rebel against God. Because you don't have that peace with God. And the reality is this. You and I, we were born as sinners. From the moment we were born, from the moment we came to this earth, we were enemies of God. None of us was born good. Now, let me give you an example, right? Like right now, we have a lot of babies in this church, right? And every parent thinks that their baby is beautiful, okay? Every parent. But let me tell you about those babies. It does not matter how cute they are. Your baby is a sinner. I mean, someone should make a Hallmark card out of that. Congratulations for bringing another cute sinner into this world. Okay, don't forget to give me the money, eh? And if you work with kids, I understand there's many of you who work with kids. You understand this because you experience this every day. Why are some kids are so wild? Why are some kids like to bite other kids? I mean, have you ever wondered? I mean, do they see their parents fight for TV remote control and bite one another? Well, I hope not. But why are their favorite words? You know what their favorite words? No. What's the other favorite words? Mine. Right? And we never met unselfish baby. Never. From the moment they were born, they demand your attention, full attention. They say like, look at me, feed me, or I'm going to make your life miserable with my fake cry. That's what they do all the time. At three in the morning, at four in the morning, they don't care whether you're sleeping or not. And you think that only happened to kids or no, it happened to all of us, even as we become adult. Let me prove it to you. When you look at a group picture... How do you decide between a good picture and a bad picture? Let me tell you how. It's very easy. You. If everybody in the picture looks good, but you look ugly, you delete that picture. But if everybody in the picture looks ugly, but you look great, you post it on Instagram. Isn't that what's happened? That's, that's, that's the self-centered, the, self, um, the selfishness that was in the baby that we inherit right now. So that's the reality of our heart. We were born with inclination to rebel against God, and that is why our greatest need in life is to be reconciled with God. But here's the thing, though, that you understand about reconciliation. Peace and forgiveness are never free. Peace and forgiveness are never free. 
I mean, there's no such thing as free forgiveness. We understand this. Imagine this. Imagine a human judge, okay? And then someone bring a convicted serial murderer before him, okay? And the serial murderer say, Judge, I am really sorry for what I have done. I promise I will change. I promise I won't do it anymore. And I will dedicate the rest of my life to do what's good for other people. And then the judge say, you know what? I can see how sincere you are. If that's the case, you can go free. You don't have to pay for anything. You don't have to pay for what you did. You are free from this moment forward. What will we do? You know what we will do? We will be enriched. We will want the judge head. Why? Because we understand something very fundamental. We cannot have a society without, um, we cannot have a society without crime not being punished. It's impossible. And the same with God. We can't have a universe that does not have justice. We can't. So God can't simply say, let there be forgiveness, and then forgiveness showed up. No, 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 no. For every wrongdoing, there must be payment. Justice is demanded. And the good news why we celebrate today, the good news of Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus came to reconcile us to God. Jesus came to do what we cannot do. He came to save us from our sins. And how does He do it? He lived the perfect life that we could not. He obeyed all the requirements of God's law. He died at the cross for our sin. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. And that's why when we put our faith in Jesus, it's not as if there's a free forgiveness. Oh no, my friend. When we put our faith in Jesus, it's not a free forgiveness. It's a paid forgiveness. Someone has paid it for us. And so right now, because of that, we have peace with God. And the peace is not like, you know, Ooh, I, feel, I feel peace in my heart. No, 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 no. This is not just subjective feeling. It is objective reality. Someone has paid the price. And the word that Paul used here is actually the word justify. The word justify means that right now, God treats you as if you have never sinned. Not because God becomes soft on sin, no. But because someone else has paid the price of sin. So right now, I know you guys have weaknesses. I know we have all still living in sin. But the moment you put a faith in Jesus, this is what happened. God no longer look at you based on what you've done, but God look at Jesus' perfection in you. In other words, justify means that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are as blameless in the eyes of God today as we will ever be in a trillion years from now. That is the good news of the gospel. God is no longer angry at us. We have absolute peace with God, and this peace is true, not because we feel it only, but because we know Jesus died and resurrected for our sin. And this is the reason. Some of you might wonder, you know, why Christian, why you guys talk about cross all the time? Here's why. Because without the cross, there's no peace with God. And that is why we love to celebrate the cross because peace with God is only available because of the cross. Peace with God without the cross is a placebo. It's empty. It's nothing. But because of the cross, now we can have the confidence that our peace is not something that we must earn. Our peace is not something that we must achieve. Our peace with God is something that we receive freely because of Jesus Christ. That is why it's called the gospel. Good news, not good advice.
That's the first blessing. And the second blessing that we receive from Jesus' death and resurrection is access into God's grace. Verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the good news is we not only have peace, but then we also have access into God's grace. And the word grace is here is used to describe a privileged position of acceptance. In other words, so that means when we put our faith in Jesus, we're not only forgiven, but we are adopted into God's family. Okay? We are adopted into God's family. That means we are free to come. It means that right now we have free access into God's presence at all times. Look at the language here. We have also obtained. That is a perfect tense, which tells us this. Your access to God is not once in a lifetime. Your access to God is lifetime access. You can always come into God's grace at all times. There's not a day that you are falling or fall out of grace. You, once you receive grace, you are in His grace forever. But I want you to notice the source of this grace. It says this, through Him. Who's the Him in here? Jesus Christ. Which tells us something. By our own, on our own, we are not fit to enter God's presence. We need someone else's to bring us in. Okay? Let me give you an illustration that I stole from Tim Chester. Let's say that you are in London, okay, and you want to meet the Queen of England for a chat. So you plan to go to Buckingham Palace, knock at the door in the palace, say, hey, I would like to meet with Queen of England. And you also hope while you're there that you can actually have a tour around the palace, and maybe if the queen is nice enough that you can stay one night at the palace. So you come to the Buckingham Palace, you knock at the door, and the guards say at the door, say, you know, you're with a British accent, may I help you? And you said, oh yeah, I came all the way from Sydney, mate, um, and I wish to meet the Queen of England. And it would be lovely if I can just have a tour around the palace, and maybe I can stay night over here if the queen doesn't mind. And the guard will ask you, May I know? Oh, I can't do that. May I know your name, sire? Okay. And you will say, I will say, I'm Yossi, son of Mr. and Mrs. Yusuf. Well, Mr. Yusuf, I'm sorry, but I cannot find your name on the list. I'm sorry, but I have to ask you to leave the premise right now, or we have to call security. Do you know why? Because my last name cannot get me into the palace. My last name, Yusuf, who is that? Now, before you laugh at my last name, your last name cannot get you into the palace as well, okay? And this truth is also true about someone else before. You know who that is? Kate Middleton. There was a time that Kate can get into Buckingham Palace, knock at the door, and want to enter the palace, and the guards say, who are you? But today, it is very different. I mean, today they cannot kick Kate Middleton out of the palace. So Kate can say, I would like to meet the king of, queen of England. And what will, Kate, what will the guard say? When the guard say, okay, who are you? You know what Kate said? I am Middleton. Oh no, that's not what Kate say. You know what Kate say? I'm with him. Do you know who's the him? Prince William. And the moment that happened, she has full access to Buckingham Palace. She can enter any room she wants. What happened? Not because Kate becomes someone else, but because Kate is with someone else. 
can't have full access because of that person. And that is what happened to us when we put our faith in Jesus. Jesus did not only give us peace with God, he gave us his favorable status. We have forever access to God's grace. And it gets better. The third blessing, hope in the glory of God. Look at verse 2 again. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, I love it. Because the way that the Bible used the word, word, used the word hope sorry, is different from the way that you, we use the word hope. When we say we hope for something, what we are saying is we expect that things will turn out a certain way, but there's no guarantee for it, right? For example, I can say I hope to be married by the time I'm 25. And then I can say I hope to be married by the time I'm 30. Then I can say I hope to be married by the time I'm 35. And I can say I hope to be married by the time I'm 37. Can I have amen? amen. Wow. Thank you, guys. <laughs> but it does not mean it will happen. It's just mere hope. But when the Bible used the word hope, it communicates the idea of certainty, the certainty on the promise of God. And here's the promise. God promised there will be a day when every corner of the earth will be filled with the glory of God. He promises a day where everything wrong will be made right. And the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantee that one day God is going to restore everything that is broken in this world. Everything, including our body. Now, how many of you have ever injured yourself while sleeping? Last week, I spoke to Martin. And he told me, he injured his neck while he was sleeping. Don't laugh. If you have yet to experience it, that day is coming for every one of you. That day is coming, let me tell you. It does not matter how often you go to the gym. It does not matter how well you take care of yourself. You cannot go against a universal law called aging. That day will come for you. Okay, but the good news for us is this. There is a hope for us that a day will come that we can go to sleep and not have to be sore the next morning. The day is coming. There will be no more back pain, no more aches, no more cancer, no more AIDS, no more COVID-19, no more war, no more diseases. And that day is guaranteed for us. Why? Because Jesus died and resurrected for it. So that's why we rejoice in the hope of glory of God, which led me to the fourth blessing. If that is true, if that is true, the fourth blessing, we rejoice in our suffering. Look at verse 3 and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So now if we get Jesus' death and resurrection, it totally changed the way we view suffering. Paul said that we rejoice in suffering. And this is not masochism. This is not like suffering. Yeah, lover, bring it on. Suffering hit me one more time. That's not it. What Paul tried to say is that's define rationale why you and I can rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice in suffering, this is what Paul said, because suffering produces endurance. Now we know this, right? There's no endurance without suffering. 
I mean, you cannot have a fit body without pain. In order to be in shape, you have to walk out. You have to endure pain. And then suffering produces endurance. And when you have endurance, what happens? It produces character. Because character does not happen overnight. You understand this. Character is a result of making the right choices daily again and again and again and again. Endurance produces character. And then character produces hope. How? Because character makes us confident now that the God that we put our hope in can be trusted for our future. God who is faithful in our present suffering through our present suffering right now can be trusted for the future. And that is why we rejoice in suffering, not because suffering is good, but because we understand that God uses suffering for our good. Now, there was an ancient tribe in Japan that's renowned for its poetry. I mean, you might have heard of this before. So what they will do is um, they will create a magnificent, beautifully painted vessel. And after that hard work, they will actually smash that uh, pottery against a rock to become hundreds of pieces. Why? Because they will then join the hundred pieces back together with melted gold, sealing the seams. And then the restored pottery become more, much more precious than it was before it was broken. And my friend, that is exactly what God is doing in our life. God uses suffering to smash us to pieces so that He can fill the broken place in our life with Himself. Now, I know this to be true not only from Scriptures, but from my own experience. Because in my life, I see that, that in the days of pain and suffering, it is where I experience the tender sweetness of God's love. I was talking to a dear friend of mine recently, and, and she shared how 2021 was a very, very hard year for her. She went through many, many heartbreaking moments. But then she also said, 2021 was a very sweet year for me because in those pain, I actually get to taste the sweetness of Jesus' love. I mean, do you see what happened? I mean, just, okay, let's do this. How many of you experienced the sweetness love of Christ during times of pain and suffering? Raise your hand. Okay, look around you. Okay, that is actually what's happening. That is the way God reveals His love to us. Suffering leads us to maturity and glory. That is why we rejoice in suffering. And fifth blessing, okay, this is going to keep getting better. The fifth blessing is this, certainty of God's love. Look at verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So now the gospel gives us certainty of God's love. And this certainty is both subjective experience and objective reality. Okay, let me explain. Let's talk about subjective experience first. The reason our hope does not put us into shame, why? Because God will never let us down. Well, how do I know, yours that God will never let us down? Here's how. Because God gives you the Holy Spirit. And when God gives you the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit actually pours out God's love into your heart. So in other words, the Holy Spirit makes the love of God become real. Make the love of God become something deep and refreshing inside of us. And Martin Lord joins, put it this way. Imagine a father walking along the beach with his little boy, holding his hand. 
the little boy always knew that his father loved him. But then suddenly the father lift up his boy, pick him up, embrace him, and start kissing him and tell him how much he loved him. Does doing that make the father love the son more? No. The kid, the boy, know that the fathers love him. But what happened when the father does that, it allowed the boy to enjoy the father's love. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit does in our heart. The Holy Spirit enables us to taste the sweetness of God's love for us. It is subjective experience. But it's more than that. The love of God is subjective experience, yes. But it's also objective reality. Look at verse 6 to 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one will dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No, I love this verse, okay? I'm going to stay here for a little bit, okay? I'm going to explain to you because this verse is massive, okay? This is the main verse of our uh, Resurrection Sunday. Here's a question. How do you measure love? How do you know if someone loves you? How much? How do you measure it? Here's how. The degree of love is measured partly by the costliness of the gift to the giver and partly by the unworthiness of the beneficiary. The more the gift costs the giver, the less the recipient deserves it, the greater the love is seen to be. The greater the gap, the greater the love. Are you with me on that? Let me put it this way. Okay, let me put it this way. We love a hero story. Especially if that hero died to save those whom we love. Right? We just, you know, we are sucker for that kind of story. That's the reason I cried when I watched Avengers Endgame. I cried when Iron Man died, when he said, I love you 3,000. I mean, if you watch that and you don't cry, you don't have hearts. I mean, you got, you got to cry for that. It's just so sweet. I mean, a father who loves his daughter so much and loves other people to the point that he sacrificed his life. And the world celebrate that. The world understand that they have vocabulary for it. A person might die for another good person that they love. We can love and sacrifice for the person we love. But God's love is very different. Paul says this, okay? The recipient of God's love, okay, pay attention to the description, weak, ungodly, and sinner. And later on, Paul will call us enemies of God. So let's look at the description. We are ungodly, we are weak, we are sinners, and we are enemies. And this is the kind of people that receive God's love. Now, I know we don't like to hear this. I know we don't. Our culture likes to hear, you know what? You're awesome. You know what? You're great. You know what? Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You are amazing. You deserve it. You deserve to be loved. Our culture love that. But then Paul say, you rascal. You're bad. You're evil. You are unworthy. You do not deserve to be loved. And Paul say, that's who we were. And you know, you know why we need to embrace this? Let me tell you why. Because... The greater 
awareness of the magnitude of our sin, the greater awareness of the gap between us and God, the greater gaps we have on the magnitude of God's love for us. Let me tell you a story. One day, um, Jesus was having dinner at the house of Simon. Who is Simon? Simon is one of the religious leaders of his day. Simon liked Jesus. But then during dinner, suddenly a prostitute showed up and whipped at Jesus' feet. And then she anointed Jesus' feet with oil, and then she started to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. And Simon like, Jesus, don't you know who she is? I mean, Jesus, why would you let her do that to you? And you know what Jesus said? Simon, let me tell you a story. There were two men who owe money to the same master. One man owed 500 grand. The other man owed five grand. And both men cannot pay the debt to the master. And then the master canceled the debt of both. So Simon, here's the question. Which one do you think loved the master more? And Simon replied, the one who was forgiven, 500 grand. And Jesus said, exactly. Those who are forgiven little, love little. Those who are forgiven much, love much. Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus, this is what Jesus said to Simon. Simon, you like me, but this woman, she loved me. Do you know why, Simon? Because you think that your sin's little. You think that you're good, but her, she knows her sin is much. As a result, she's overwhelmed by the forgiveness that is offered to her. Simon, the reason you do not love me is because you have no idea what sort of sinner you are. And that's what Jesus say. And the same is true for us. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. Maybe the reason the love of God, the grace of God does not electrify us because we forget how unworthy we were. Imagine, imagine a terrorist murder your one and only child parents. Imagine a terrorist murder your one and only child. And rather than having him executed, you took his place. He live, you die. You will say, that's insane, exactly. But that's what God did for us. God loved us when we were at our worst. God loved us when we were his enemy. And not only that, God showed his love to us by giving us the most costly gift, the life of his one and only son. So if you want to know what the gospel is, here's what the gospel. The gospel is this. God gave the best gift, Jesus Christ. Paid the highest cost, dead on the cross, for the least deserving sinners. That is the gospel. And he did it without our consent. We didn't even know about him. And this is what separates God's love from human love. Because human love is always object-oriented. Human love always, I love you because you're pretty, you're sexy, you're smart, you're awesome. But God's love is not object-oriented, but subject-oriented. God's love does not look at the worthiness of the recipient but it's predicated on who he is. He does not love us because we're lovely. He loves us to make us lovely. That is what separates God's love from everyone. So now, 
That means God has given us a subjective experience and objective reason for us to trust His love amid suffering. And you think, like, that's great. It gets even better. Number six, assurance of salvation. Verse 9 and 10. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if, we were, if, we, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Now let me explain. This is a bit complicated. What Paul does is actually Paul gives us the much more argument. It is argument from greater to lesser. So here's what happened. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, here's what happened to you. Right now, you've been saved from the penalty of sin. But we have yet to be saved from the presence of sin. But then we know that day is coming. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That day will come where God will return. And when God will return, He will make everything wrong become right. And then He will punish every wrongdoing. That means for every sin, there will be payment to be paid. And if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, you will pay for your sin. But the good news is this, because of the death of Jesus Christ, now you and I who put our faith in Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. And this reconciliation is not one side. It's not as if we are hostile to God. Oh, no, no, no. This reconciliation is two sides. We are hostile to God, but God is also hostile to us because of our sin. And now what happened is this. What's shocking about the gospel is this, because think about it. If we were the one who were wrong, we will expect the other party to initiate reconciliation. Am I right? But Jesus, the gospel is shocking. Why? Because the gospel tells us the one who was wrong was the one who initiated reconciliation. God was the one who drew near to us. God is the one who initiated salvation by sending Jesus to die for our sin. And our reconciliation caused God the death of His one and only Son. But it's the good news. Jesus did not remain dead. On the third day, Jesus resurrected. He lived forever to intercede for us. Now, here's Paul's argument. Pay attention to this. If God took the initiative to reconcile us to Him at the cost of Jesus' death, surely, surely He will not abandon us now that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. In other words, if God has already done the difficult thing, we can trust Him for the lesser thing. If God saved us, His enemy by grace, what makes us think He will fail to keep us in His grace? If we did not deserve His love in the first place, how can we lose His love? If God has forgiven us while we are His enemies, how much more will He accept us at Judgment Day when we are His children? Now, this is Paul's argument here. So the death of Jesus actually proved God's love for us, but then the resurrection of Jesus guarantee He will finish what He started. Jesus' blood secure our forgiveness. Jesus' resurrection and life guarantee our salvation. He will not stop in the middle. Once He loves us, He loves us with perfect love to the point that 10 billion years from now, 
He will love us as much as He loves us the second we put our faith in Him. Jesus' death and resurrection assure us of our salvation. And all of this is just leading to one, this last blessing, seventh one. Rejoice in God. The indestructible joy, verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Church, this is the reason why you and I can have indestructible joy. Okay, look at the seven blessings. Okay, let's follow the logic now. Let's put it together. Because of that, next slide, Chief, seven blessings. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, first, we have peace with God. That means we no longer have to be afraid of God. Right now, God is our perfect, loving Father. And because of that, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, then we have forever access to God's grace. We are always welcome into His grace at all times, never rejected. And the third thing, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, then we hope in the glory of God. We know that a day will come where everything will be made right, everything will be beautiful. And the fourth blessing, because of Jesus' death and resurrection now, in our present suffering, we can rejoice because we know that God is using it for our good. And then because of that, because Jesus' death and resurrection, now we can have certainty of God's love for us in the midst of suffering. First, He gave us Holy Spirit to tell us, to let us experience the sweetness of His love. But He also gave us the objective reality that while we were still sinners, God died for us. And not only that, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, now we can have the assurance of salvation. Because if God reconciled us to Him while we were still sinners, surely on the judgment day, He who began the good work in us will complete what He started. And if you understand all these six blessings, then the seven blessings follow. No matter what kind of situation you're in, no matter what kind of hardship that you face, you rejoice in God. Do you know why? Because in all this blessing, it does not require your contribution. God is the one who does the work from beginning to the end. He's the active doer. You and I are the passive recipient. That's why we rejoice in God. We rejoice in not, not in our privileges or no. We rejoice in God's mercy. We rejoice not in our possession of God, but in God's possession of us. And God does all of this through one person, Jesus Christ. All these blessings are available for you and me because Jesus purchases through His death and resurrection. I love the way John Piper put it. Okay, one sentence described my 50-minute sermon. God paid the price of His Son to give us the price of Himself. You know what Piper say? He's all Piper say. The price of the gospel is the person who paid the price for the gospel. God is the one who paid the price. God is the one who received all the glory. And God himself is the price of the gospel. And if that is true, my friend, listen, if that is true, that means there's nothing that can take God away from us. God does not go halfway with us. No, no, no. God went all in. 
The ship has sailed. There's no turning back. That's why we can say with Paul that neither death nor life, no angels, no rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, no powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why rejoice in God. This is the instructable joy that the gospel offered to you and me. And it is ours the moment we put our faith in Jesus. The very second you put your faith in Jesus, we can rejoice in God at all times because we know God will not fail us. God sees us in our worst and He thought we were worth it. He used suffering then to shape us for our good. And because of Jesus now, we have joy that does not depend on circumstances. We have indestructible joy the moment we put our faith in Jesus. So the only question I have, the only question is this. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you been reconciled to God? Because without that, there is no joy. If you have yet to be reconciled to God, I implore you. If you have yet to put your trust Jesus, your Lord and Savior, by that I mean, do not mean just lip service, but with your heart you believe that He is your Lord and Savior. I implore you tonight, make that decision. Because He loves you. He died for you. And all these blessings are yours the moment you trust Him as your Lord and Savior. So tonight... Realize the magnitude of your sin. Realize how bad of a sinner you are. Then look at the death and the resurrection of Christ and rejoice in what God has done for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. For your love for us is not dependent on our performances. For your love for us does not depend on how awesome we are. But your love for us is determined on who you are. And while we were still your enemies, you paid the highest price. You sent your one and only beloved son to die for our sin. And right now, Lord, I pray if, if there's any of us in this place who have yet to truly put their faith in you. Maybe we're Christian. Maybe we've been attending church for years, but we never truly put our faith in you. Holy Spirit, I pray that tonight that you pour out love of God in their heart. Help them to feel it. Help them to know it. And trust in it. And God, for my brothers and sisters in this place, I pray that the reality of indestructible joy will be true for us. I know life is hard. Life is filled with challenges. And yet when we understand the gospel, we can rejoice in all circumstances because you will not fail us. So do that in our heart, Holy Spirit. Remind us of the good news that is available to us because of Jesus' death and resurrection. In this we rejoice. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray.